Welcome to the Restoration Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Smith, and I am so excited that you are here. This week, we are going to dive fast and hard into what it's like to overcome shame. My guest this week is Teresa Bodecker. She is a humor hunter, a shame shedder, and so much more. I cannot wait for you to hear how she found humor in her shame, how she found grace in her shame, and how she is walking in victory on the other side of shame. So let's jump in. Teresa, welcome to the podcast. Would you take a minute and introduce yourself to our guests? Yes. My, so my name is Teresa Bodecker and my husband and I have been married, I think, 34 years. We have a son and daughter and they're 15 years apart. So my daughter is married and has a couple small children. My son just turned 18 and just started college. I was an English instructor for many years. Now I'm kind of like a writer, speaker, humor hunter, and I blog. So, yeah. Awesome. I love that word humor hunter. I love that so much. That's so fun. If you've been around the podcast for a while, you know that this is the restoration experience podcast and that I truly believe when you surrender your life to Christ, you are choosing to shed the shame the world pins on you and run hard, fast, and boldly into the freedom, grace, redemption, and victory that God has for you in your life. And so for me, that meant giving up so much, but gaining so much and letting go of all of that and really being like, set free from the shackles that were holding me back and walking into this victorious life that I did not even know that God had for me. And I shared this last week on the podcast. I don't think I realized how God was working in my life before I even knew him and had surrendered my life to him. And so now that I'm like on the other side of that and I know him and I've been through restoration, I love it so much. Like what he has done for me already and what he continues to do. And so I have chosen a pinwheel as my logo because I believe that a pinwheel never stops spinning. Even if the wind stops, there's still a little spinning going on. And I think that we're always in our life when we fully surrender to the Lord being restored from something. We always need to be free from something. God is always pouring out immeasurable, undeserving grace. And I think that there's just so much redemption and victory that he has for us. And And so when you hear the word restoration, like, what does that mean to you? Well, I love what you said, because it's, I agree with all that stuff. God is working in our, our lives long before we realize it. And it's only like us looking back that we even see, because we don't see it at the time often. We don't see the big changes. And I mean, restoration, I think that's the job that God's in. He's restoring each of us to, to himself to each other, restoring our relationships, you know what I mean? And it's a lifelong process because we're always changing. In this life, we're always supposed to be changing and growing and learning. Mm. And so that's one thing that's exciting about about being a Christian, you know what I mean? Because you're always learning a little bit more about life, about God, about yourself and changing and growing and becoming healthier, a healthier Christian and releasing, like you said, a lot of the shame and the baggage and stuff that you didn't even know you had that you were carrying around. But that was maybe that was normal to you. That's why we don't realize it so often. It was just normal to us. 
Yeah. I love that every week I go to church and I walk out and I'm like, I've read that scripture a million times, but I've learned something. And I feel like we have to be open to that. We have to be open and expectant that God is going to teach us something in all that we do. And I love that you said that. So Teresa, I know that you have a story and you've done some hard work in shame, which um, I will link in the show notes, a link to her blogs about shame, because I've done my own reading and I was so blessed by them. So I just would love if you would tell us a little bit of your own freedom, grace, redemption, and victory story and how you got to the place of shedding the shame and what that process looked like for you. Okay. Yeah. I will have to say it was a long process. You know what I mean? Just to, sometimes it's a process to even figure out what, what we're carrying. Like I said, because it becomes normal to us. I grew up in a very legalistic household, legalistic church, a lot of rules. My mom was very, um, it was done her way and there was no unconditional love. It's very conditional. You know what I mean? But you grow up with that and you think that's normal. You think, I remember thinking, I don't want to raise my children this way, but I could not put my finger on what was wrong. I didn't know. I was, it was what I'd grown up with, right? It was through, you know, you grow up and you begin to look around, you see other people, you start reading the Bible and you see, wait a second, God doesn't treat us the way I'm imagining he's going to treat me because I'm imagining he's going to treat me the way my mom did, right? Or the church did, or the view I have of him in my mind, which was totally wrong. You know what I mean? Okay. So if I ask God for something, God help me, you know, and he's looking down, let's see, did you make your bed? Did you pray? Did you? Okay. Well, I'll help you today. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was more like, I'm going to do for God than he will do for me. And it was a slow process, but I began to realize my whole view of God was wrong. And I began to realize what unconditional love was, that he loved us mistakes, sins, you know, flaws, warts, wrinkles, everything, you know, and it's not, his love doesn't come and go. And I'm telling you when we, that was one thing, when I really began to understand that God loved me for who I was not what I did for him, not like, you know, how my day had gone, how I looked, you know, was I dressed nicely, not for any of these other reasons. And I'm having my first child really made me pause because I thought I love her even when she misbehaves. I love her. I mean, I'm always wanting the best for her, right? And if me as a human parent wants that, how much more, the Bible says, how much more does our heavenly father Mm. want that for us or treat us better than we treat our own children? There's the verse like, you know, if your son asks you for bread, won't God give even more, right? Our children ask us for things and we are willing to do it for them. How much more? That was a big learning process. Just seeing like my feelings toward my daughter, how much more is that? Does God treat us that way and love us that way? One of the things that I really struggled with in my own coming to know who the Lord was, was how do I reconcile that this heavenly father who I can't see, touch, audibly hear can love me so much unconditionally if my own earthly father couldn't love me and was mean to me and hurt me and did all of these things. And it was years 
before I was able to really lean into that and, and experience God's true unconditional love, because I, like you, I lived in a home with a lot of conditions and those, they weren't good conditions. And I carried that into my adulthood. And I really pinned that on to like my heavenly father, like, oh, he can't love me. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I heard all this from my earthly father, like, no one will love you. You're too fat. You're not pretty enough. You're not this, you're not that. And so it, you're right. It takes a long time to really, truly understand that God's love really is unconditional. And what does unconditional love even mean if you've never experienced it? Correct. And that is such a hard concept because we pin our relationships and our view of God we pin our view of God on our relationships, whether it's our mother, our father, you know, a good friend, the people, the bully at school. And we think, okay, if, if people can't love me unconditionally, there's no way God can love me unconditionally. And I mean, that's something I think we all as humans really struggle with. And on mm -hmm. our bad days, it's hard for us to really believe that God loves us unconditionally. You know what I mean? And I've just had to come to the idea like, okay, Teresa, you may not feel that you're, you know, like God loves you unconditionally. You may not think he does. You may not believe he does, but is he true? I mean, what does his word say? He says he does. Okay. So either I'm going to believe myself or I'm going to believe him, but it can be a big struggle, you know, because like I said, we tend to view God through the relationships we're having. And if we're having a good relationship with our husband that day, it's easier to believe it. If we're having a bad relationship with our boss that day, it's so much harder to believe that not only God loves us unconditionally, but that when we go home, our mate and children love us, you know, the way that they would on a good day, you know, mm -hmm. like my husband said, Teresa, you can tell me things and I will still love you or whatever, you know, he is. And he's proven that, but it took me a long time to really believe that too. No, no, I need to present this perfect image because that's what we had to do growing up, present this perfect image, you know, as a family, we were supposed to be perfect, no matter how many cracks were going on or what was going on in our family. And when you grow up with that, you think, okay, if I don't present this, people aren't going to really love me. Right. Yeah. So that perfect perfection that your mom like projected onto you, I'm sure carried into your young adulthood, your adulthood, your marriage, all the things. So how have you found freedom in that? I mean, obviously the Lord, but what other hard work did you have to do to, to say like, it's okay if I'm not perfect. It's okay if my kids are having a bad day. It's okay if I leave the house in sweatpants and a messy bun and no makeup. Like, <laughs> Yes. I would say God worked on me on several fronts. You know what I mean? First of all, mm -hmm. my husband said, Teresa, you're not perfect. Quit trying to be perfect. Okay. <laughs> so that maybe didn't go over well the very first couple of times he said that. But also I began to develop a sense of humor. When we can begin to learn to laugh at our mistakes, small ones at first, albeit, you know what I mean? That we showed up at the doctor on the wrong day, you know, a week too early, right day, right time, wrong week, you know, when we can begin to laugh at ourselves with these little things, you know? Yes, I once, <laughs> I once knocked on the door. So my daughter had a birthday party 
she was like in second grade and I knocked on the door. There's her and I were at the birth, going to go to this girl's birthday party, had the present, everything. She goes, what are you doing here? And I said, it's the day for the birthday party. She goes, no, that was yesterday. Oh, I felt horrible. Yes. And it wasn't funny that moment, but later on, I was like, okay, Teresa, that is kind of funny. You know what I mean? How many people show up? Okay. So learning to laugh at myself and realizing, hey, we're all humans. And when I can learn to laugh at myself and give myself grace, then I can learn to extend that grace to others. So when somebody knocks on my door and it's the wrong day, hey, it's all right. Don't worry. We're all human. We all make mistakes. Let's just laugh about that. Let that go. Not taking everything so seriously because God doesn't take us always so seriously. So learning that God loves me no matter what, making mistakes, and then learning to laugh at myself, learning to give myself grace because God doesn't up there. Hmm, oh, I look, you sinned. I knew you were going to today. <laughs> you know, he's not up there pointing the finger. It says God, it says Satan's up there condemning us, you know, and running to God, not God. So learn realizing that God's not waiting for us to make mistakes. And most people aren't either. The people you really want to hang around with, they aren't either. Yeah. They're like, oh, just try again, you know, so you had a bad day. So you, most people are encouraging, you know, so giving that to yourself and giving it to those around you, helps you realize you don't have to be perfect. And then realizing that you can't be perfect. I remember, okay, I had a child. Okay. Both of my children first periods of time, you know, wanted to be perfect. And the same reason I did, I thought if I could be perfect, then I would have no conflicts in life. Life would go perfectly, right? There'd be nothing going wrong. There would be, you know, and I do not like conflict and I don't like things going wrong. And I remember thinking, I was talking to one of my children. I said, oh no, this will, that attitude will rob you of all your joy in life. I lived like that as a child for years and it's unattainable. And then at that moment, like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and I thought, and I just blurted out, I said, can you think of someone who's perfect? And they looked at me, well, um, God, Jesus. And I said, yes, Jesus, Jesus was perfect. Okay, let's look at him. Did people, did he still have conflict? Oh, yes. I mean, why are you healing on this app? There was a lot of people that did not like him. You know, they were questioning him. Did he have a conflict free or a, a blessed, no hiccup, no speed bump life? No trouble life? No. I mean, so this idea that if we're perfect, it's so false. It's such a lie. So just realizing that too, even if we are perfect, there's going to, we're going to have enemies. People are going to accuse us of things. People are going to say, you know, it's not going to be conflict-free. It's not going to be trouble-free. Right. Right. So let's talk about grace for a second, because I grew up in a home where there was very little grace shown, which it kind of sounds like you did too. Um, (laughs) So how did you later on in life learn how to extend grace, but also to receive grace, not just from other people, but God pours out like undeserving grace on us every day. I mean, I wake up days and I'm like, I do not deserve any of these gifts that God has given me today and far be it, but I don't receive and don't deserve to receive any grace either. But I've learned to relish in those moments. And that is where I find my joy these days is like, God extends me grace when I don't deserve it because I do deserve it. 
And that allows me to extend grace to I'm raising a teenager. It's hard. I have to extend grace a lot. And I think that because I've learned to relish in his grace over me, I'm able to extend grace to other people who I have deemed don't deserve grace. Cause who am I? Right. right? Um, so how have you kind of reconciled grace in your life? Yeah, that's a good question. And yes, it is sometimes easier to give grace than to receive it. Just like sometimes it's easier to help people than to receive help or give compliments than it is to receive them because then that makes us look like we're the needy, weak ones. You know what I mean? But yes, God's grace is oh so beautiful. And I have always been very empathetic and had compassion. And so like when I see people, like I saw the way sometimes we were treated growing up or whatever, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was like, something's wrong with this attitude. I wouldn't want to be treated that way. So I'm not going to treat someone that was very, my mom always talked about that. Not that she followed it all the time, but you know, don't always treat others the way you want to be treated. Okay. That was always preached. And I did take that seriously. And then realizing that God gives us way above and beyond what we deserve. And like going back to being a parent, once again, I wanted to really give my children more than I had gotten. And my love for them was so great that sometimes, you know, I wanted to give them more grace. And then that shows God's heart, right? If I'm willing to do that, then God's so willing to do that. But then when we realize our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, and what God gives us, that makes us want to turn around and give it to other people. And it's very interesting because when I was doing that shame series, and this is shame is often used, you know, in families to try and, you know, by teachers, by leaders, by it, you know, okay, you have a bad habit. We're going to shame you out of it. Right. Shame never really makes us want to stop or change or do something for the right reason. Does God ever shame us? No, he convicts us. Shame does, yeah, will never get you motivated for the right reason. What changes us? Grace, unconditional love, conviction, right? And so when you really want to have good relationships with people, when you really want to have, you know, help your child change or develop new habits or yourself, it's not shaming, it's giving grace understanding, not that there aren't consequences, not that there isn't discipline. I mean, God does, we have, there's consequences, you know, but shaming will not promote someone to change. And I'm thinking, I mean, just think about it. Like so many of us negatively self-talk, you know what I mean? You get up, you know, look at you, look at you. Does that help us? Does it change us? No, I mean, it just makes us feel bad. I mean, and so if we sit and do that to someone else, is that really going to help them? No, it causes them to go in a downward spiral. It'll cause them to feel bad about themselves and things like that, but it will not really motivate them to run out and do the hard work. I think something that I shared last week with Sharon on the podcast is that we talk so much about how the world shames us, but we don't ever really talk about how we shame us. I actually did something that I thought I would never do recently. I bought a full length mirror for my bedroom because I realized that in the mornings I was waking up and the first thing I was doing was negatively talking about myself. 
oh, you're this, oh, you're that. And every morning I stand in front of the mirror and I speak positive affirmations over myself because that's what sets the tone of my day now. And the first few days I was like, I don't think I can do this. And I've been like a week into this, two weeks into this. And I'm like, you know, it really truly does set the tone for my day. Like I'm speaking positive to myself now. I'm setting the tone for my day because I'm not waking up thinking about all the negative things about me. I don't know that I would recommend this to everyone because it's a hard exercise, but it really made me think about the shame that I've pinned on myself and how... I've done a really good job of shedding the shame that the world has pinned on me, but I still have a lot of work to do in the shame that I pin on myself, even in motherhood. Like I, um, I adopted my son and, you know, there's times when I'm like, am I a good mom? Like, am I doing things that his mom would do for him? Or like, I'm not like this mom. So I immediately go into this, like shaming myself mode because I'm not that person. So it's a lot of like, imposter syndrome shaming Mm -hmm. I just have to like work on that part of my shaming so I'm glad that you brought that up because I don't think we talk enough about the shame that we pin on ourselves okay let's go back to this is so prevalent in today's society mother guilt motherhood guilt and oftentimes we're comparing ourselves to someone else Mm -hmm. and does God compare us to other people No, he doesn't say, "Hmm, look at you, Teresa. Why aren't you like Martha down the road? You know, why aren't you like Jill, your next door neighbor? No. And that's what I love about God, because he also gives us so much variety, gives us different talents. He gives us different, you know, appearances, wide variety. Look at the animals. Look at us. There's, you know, no two the same. Even a snowflake's different, right? All the snowflakes. And he gives us certain guidelines. Okay. I don't want you to lie. And we're all held to the same guidelines, whether you're male, female, old, young, don't lie, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, don't steal. Okay. But there's so much variety in that. He doesn't say, okay, there's only one way to parent. If you aren't up at 6am and your kid's not up, you know, five minutes later, you've already failed as a parent. No, you could be a sleeping parent. You could be a wake up early parent. There's not a sin either way. You see what I'm saying? But yet we get so tied up in comparing ourselves. And then, yes, we shame ourselves and we guilt ourselves and it doesn't help us. And I keep trying to remind myself, God's not comparing me to anyone else. He's comparing me to me. I guess his overall plan he has for me or his overall, you know, where he wants me to go. But he's not sitting there comparing me to Jill. And I can be just as successful being totally opposite of Jill or I can be like her but I have to be myself. Yeah. 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 I love that so much. So in your shame series, you've done a lot of work. So where have you, or where do you feel that you've seen the most redemption in your restoration experience? You know, I think it's believing the lies that I believed as a child. And it's like, sometimes like the lies aren't even apparent. Okay. Like the lie that I thought I had to be perfect. I it's like very early on, I adopted or believed, absorbed. I don't know if I was ever told, I probably was never told that a mistake is a sin. Okay. Because, you know, we were supposed to always be a certain way. And I began to equate mistakes with sins. Mistakes are not sins. 
mistakes, you know, are just mistakes. You don't aren't deliberately doing it. And how can you learn to like, you know, shoot basketballs without making lots of mistakes? You're going to miss so much. Or like I used to play the piano. You're going to make so many mistakes learning that new piece in piano. Mistakes are just a part of life. You learn from them. Okay. But that was like one false thing I absorbed, never was said, you know, probably from the pulpit or my parents, mistakes are sins. No, but I absorbed it. Right. So therefore I would make a mistake and then I would feel shame. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, you know, oops, I sinned. And now, you know, everybody's going to know that I'm not perfect. Right. The shame comes in. So I think the biggest thing was realizing, realizing these beliefs that I had been carrying around in my whole I'm looking at the life through these beliefs. I'm looking at other people. I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at God. So to change that, I have to change what I believe. Like, let me give you another example. My mom was very, and I don't want to put my mom down. She did the very, very best she could Mm -hmm. with the way she was raised and what she had and her belief in God and everything like that. And we all, as parents, none of us will get through being a parent without passing something on to our child. You know, it's just part of life. But my mom obviously had a very wanting to be perfect. It was very hard for us children to have any needs if we expressed our needs. So I remember like coming to her and saying, mom, you know, my, my shoes um, hurt. Like I'm not growing my shoes. And I remember her saying this was quite common. She, she would not usually acknowledge our need in the way we needed it to. She said, well, you know, Teresa. She goes, I haven't had a new pair of shoes for like three years because you kids are always outgrowing your shoes. Like, you know, and then I feel shame that my feet are growing, right? I'm, "Ah." and yet I remember also thinking, you've got seven pairs of shoes in your closet. I only have one, you know, my feet are growing. So our needs were not like validated, addressed, taken care of. We felt bad for having needs. So therefore never said out loud, but I, the message I absorbed is, it's whiny. That was one thing my mom hated. Anyone whining in the house should say, I can't hear you. You're whining. You know what I mean? That my needs were whiny and they were selfish. And it took me years and years and years to realize this. Now I have a sister that's two years, we're two years apart. And I was working with my therapist and she's like, Teresa, you really need, it's not wrong to have needs. And I'd heard this before. And it's not like I ever didn't have needs. And then when I, but I would feel bad about saying them. And my husband would be like, sure, go out and, you know, whatever, you know, and some needs I would not be, but some needs I'd be, I'd be more, you know, like afraid to say some, I wouldn't. And I was talking to the therapist and she says, well, what's your belief about needs? Is it, you know, that you don't matter and your needs aren't important? I said, no, is it this, that your needs are a burden to others? No, I said, no. And we kept going. And finally it came out that Asking for what I want is selfish and whiny. It was like revelation. Oh my word. Yes, that's it. I called my sister that evening. Guess what? We're sitting there talking about this. And I said, okay, tell me, do any of these ring true for you? I said, is it that, because she feels very much the same way. She has a very hard time asking, same mother, same family. You know what I mean? And I said, is it because that your needs are burdened? No, no, no. Is it because of this? And I, I had written them down. So I asked her and she's like, no, no. And then I said, is it because that asking for what I want is selfish and whiny? She goes, yes, yes, that's it. So see how we had absorbed the exact 
same message. We have talked about for years that we need to speak up. We need to state our needs. It's not wrong, but we had never put it in a sentence like that. And you absorb these things and then you feel shame. And so like getting to the bottom of these, why do I feel this way? What is my belief has really, and then, okay, what would God say to that? Okay. What would my best friend say to that? What would God say to that? Teresa, we're all created with needs. I mean, everybody needs to eat. Is it wrong to be asking, saying you're hungry, you're outgrowing your shoes? Is it? No, no. And I not only give you physical needs, but you know, I want you to also have dreams and desires and things like this. So like re figuring out what the lie is and then saying, okay, what's the truth? What's God's truth about this lie? That will take away a lot of shame. And then reminding yourself of the truth. Yeah. My therapist always tells me like when you're believing the lies of the enemy, go back to the Bible and find the truth in the Lord and in his word. And it was hard at first because there's so many lies that are swimming in your head all the time. Where do you even begin? But now it's so easy for me to sit here and be like, oh, I'm this. But the Lord says that I'm this. I won't say that it's easy, like, easy emotionally to do that, but it's easy now. Like I just think about it and I'm like, nope, the enemy, that's the enemy. And this is what the Lord says about me. So that's so good. So now that you've done all this hard work and you've raised two kids and you're married and you've kind of shed this shame, like what is God doing in your life? Like, where do you feel victorious? And like, how has he taken all of this shame and all of this restoration that you've had and using it for good? I think, well, I, first of all, I don't think I'm ever going to be done being None restored of us until are I ever die. done. But yes, <laughs> yes, no. Um, but I think, okay, why does God, God takes us from the pit of despair and he heals us emotionally, you know what I mean? Um, ways we didn't even know, right? Like becoming a healthy father to us, um, loving us unconditionally, giving us grace. And why does he do that? So that we can ins- pass that on to others, right? So we can share his good news to others and share what he has done in our life so that other people can be encouraged. So other people can say, Hey, that I can do that too. If you can do it, if you can figure out some of these lies that you believed, I can too, and gain freedom and quit listening to the enemy because God wants us walking in freedom, not condemnation. Right? So it's to, help other people to like, okay, I've got grandkids now. I am very conscious about like how I treat my children, how I treat other people, how I want my grandkids, you know, how I treat them. I do not want them believing these lies and these beliefs that I grew up, nor do I want other people. So being able to pass that on to other people and, you know, just talking to somebody and saying, Hey, wait a second is what, why would you say that to yourself? Would God say that to you? You know, questioning in a gentle, nice way, their beliefs too, because oftentimes people don't even realize. I mean, for years, I didn't realize what I was believing, what I was thinking. It's like you with the mirror. You know what I mean? God says our bodies are good. He doesn't look at us every day when we wake up. Oh, boy, look at that bed hair. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
No, he says, that's a good body. You know what you're going to be able to do with that body today? You're going to be able to love people and serve people and feed people. And, you know, he never looks at us the way we look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so helping other people realize that too. And just passing that on. If we can be a little bit of God's hands and feet and voice, that's what he wants us for to be. Yeah, that's so good. I know as someone who battles with chronic illness, I struggle a lot with my body and talking kind to my body. And so I have this planner and at the top of every week, it says I'm believing. And you said, everybody is a good body. And that is what I wrote as my affirmation, probably like 15 minutes before we got on to record this podcast, because I was like, you know what, even though my body is sick and I struggle some days, God still gave me this body to use and it is still a good body. And I need to train my brain to realize that. That's so good, Teresa. Are there any scriptures or books or authors or people that you follow that have kind of helped you on your journey that you want to share with our listeners? There was a book about God and how our view of him is often wrong. And if he is love, and if we really believe that, so often we view his actions as not being love. And this book goes through that, like, okay, we view these actions in the Bible as not being loving, or we view when he treats us this way as not being loving. And he goes, no, let's look at that and look at how that is loving. And that's the verse, some of the verses like I've been focusing on lately about how God is love. And if he is love, and then we show it to other people. Mm. one book that really helped my sister and I recently, we went through it and had like all these aha moments was the emotionally immature relationship or parents with just past family relationships from long ago. Yeah. (laughs) And then my last question before we go is how would you encourage someone who is like maybe listening and they're like, man, I'm ready to take that first step into my own restoration, or I'm ready to shed the shame, or maybe they're in the middle of their restoration experience. Because I know when I was going through what I now realize is a restoration experience, I was so broken and it feels very, very lonely and hard, or maybe they're at the end and they're ready to take the next steps. How would you encourage them? I would say, you know, really surround yourselves with verses in the Bible that really speak the truth to what you need at that point. Just like you said, you always find a verse that speaks to the lie that you're telling yourself and then really make a conscience effort to believe, okay, if God is true, he is faithful, he's the same today as tomorrow, he doesn't lie, he is good, then I'm going to choose to believe this is true, not only from other people, that sometimes it's easy to believe it for other people, but for me, right? For me, when we begin to see the amount of love that God has for us and our worth comes from him, not what we do, not us, um, and we can really start to believe that, then there's a lot of change can take place. And just being careful of what you tell yourself and the what you have believed, how you Look at the way, okay, why do I keep doing this? What belief in my life that's probably a false belief is making me keep like negatively self-talking to myself or not being able to accept that I'm loved or not being able to, you know, thinking I must earn love. And then I'd say, try and surround yourself with some good Christian books, 
an encouraging friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going through a really dark period in my life and I didn't, I felt so alone. And it's funny, I was praying God bring someone into my life and he didn't bring anyone into my life for a while. But what he did do is I would, when I drive to work to go teach, there was focus on the family was on the radio. There was a good Christian radio station. And I'm telling you that radio station spoke and ministered to me in a way nothing had at that point in my life. So sometimes it's not even people. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's songs. Sometimes it's the, a, a, a Christian you know, radio station. Find something that's really ministering to you. I mean, yeah. people are wonderful. And I think people are the best because oftentimes they'll say like, what? You tell them their story of someone who's really safe and encouraging. And they go, oh, why are you? No, they reinterpret the story for you, which really helps you release your shame. Mm-hmm. They say that wasn't your fault. You know, you didn't choose that. And you go, really? Oh, because that's a large part of releasing shame is reinterpreting the story and looking at it from a different viewpoint, God's viewpoint, a different viewpoint and saying, Hey, wait a second. I picked up the shame and it wasn't even mine to pick up. Community is so important. I think that we, uh, the pandemic has not helped by any means, No, but I think that we have lost the value of community and I feel very blessed. I have an amazing community of women around me, but I have two girls in particular. And last New Year's Eve, we sat at my table after midnight. It was almost two in the morning when we were finished. And we just looked at each other and we were like, this year, we're going to hold each other accountable. And not this like fake accountability that everyone wants to have, but like, real, true, genuine accountability. And we have this group text called the cheer squad. And all the time we are like holding each other accountable in our goals. We're calling each other out on the hard stuff. We're bringing the hard truths of the Lord back to it. So last week I sent them a message and I just told them some emotions I was having and they loved me through it, but they also wrote out some scripture and some prayers and reminded me of the truth about who I am. And I don't think we value that. Like, I think we've lost this idea of what community really, truly should be and accountability. And for many years, I don't think I understood what accountability was supposed to be because I had to go back many years in life and apologize to someone for being so angry for holding me accountable so many years ago, but now truly understanding that their accountability has brought me to where I am now. So I think when you say community, like and surrounding yourself with people, like that's so important. It is so important because, and we want to choose the right people, people full of love and grace and you know what I mean? But it is so important. We need that. God God wants that for us so much, even if it's just one person, two people, three people. And when you get a couple women, like you said, who are encouraging you, praying for you, who you can be honest and say, I'm struggling with this. And they aren't judging you. Mm. They're saying, let me pray for you. Let me give you some scripture. Let me encourage you. Let me tell you that same thing happened to me, but I got through it. I got through it. You know what I mean? God helped me through it. Those you, we all need that in our lives. Yes. And yeah. if we can create a start with one woman, move it to two, you know, and get a couple women like that, which I have too. And, you know, like you said, real growth begins 
and it's easier to, well, it, let's go back to the very beginning. Our view of God changes too, because we're seeing God using them. And we begin to see that if they treat me this way, God treats me so much better. Yes. And true restoration takes place in community. Yes. Teresa, it really does. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there anything else that you would like to share that we may have skipped over or left out? I don't think so. Yeah. I really appreciate your heart for doing this and helping point women that there is restoration and that it's probably going on and you might not even realize it mm-hmm. and getting serious about it. The more healthy, restored people out there, what a blessing. We can change the world, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here today. I am so excited to share your story with the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Colleen. Friend, wasn't Teresa's story of overcoming shame so encouraging? If you're anything like me, you probably grabbed your journal and jotted some notes because she dropped some nuggets today. And one that has really just stuck with me over the past few weeks since I interviewed her is that God loves me unconditionally for no reason. He loves me the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and always. And that is something that I am constantly having to remind myself. So when she said that, I was like, whoo, I need to jot that down and just keep reminding myself of that. If you are ready to dig into your own shame, she has done the hard work and written some amazing blog posts that I'm going to link down below in the show notes. And if you're ready to talk through your story and begin your own restoration experience, I would love to be a part of that. You can head to the link in my Instagram bio and set up a 30-minute discovery coffee chat with me and we can determine how we can work together to allow you to shed the shame that the world has pinned on you and walk freely into your own restoration experience. Friend, I am so excited that you are here with us today. I would love it if you would just leave a rating or a review below so that other people can see this podcast and hear these amazing stories of restoration. And I will be back with you next week.